Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 179 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Les. And I'm Tony. I'm Jesse. Les Lanfear, how the heck are you, man? <laughs> I'm doing very well. It doing is so, well. so good to hear your voice. Uh, I'm just going to take a second. I, I told you I was going to do this, but I'm going to do it. I, you know, your show, the, the Reform Pubcast, the reason we're doing this, the reason you're here on this episode is the Reform Pubcast uh, put out 178 episodes, which you guys really kind of pioneered the two regular guys talking about theology format. Um, you know, there was White Horse Inn and Renewing Your Mind and then like broadcast sermons and, and a little bit of stuff like that. And then there was Reform Forum, which is kind of that super technical academic like let's talk really technical theology but you and tanner really like invented a whole new way of doing podcasts for the reformed world so there's been like a thousand spin-off shows uh some have made it a long time some didn't make it a long time but we thought it'd be fun for you to come on our show on episode 179 not because we're like saying like oh we made it past the pubcast but because it's a special thing to recognize what God has done in the world of reform podcasting. And he really used your show to kind of kick off a, like a, a second version of that, that I think is more approachable for most people. And I think a lot of people really got into reform theology because of what you're doing. So thank you. And please pass my thanks on to Tanner. Uh, the next time you talk to him, just for what you guys put together and what you did. Um, it really has been an edifying thing in my life. I mean, you and I know each other from the pub and, uh, from all sorts of different stuff online. Um, but it really has been edifying in my life to like see you guys develop through the show, to know you, to meet you. Um, just thank you. It's, it's been really awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I, we're definitely not the first ones to do it, but somehow the Lord blessed what we were doing. I think it was, I think it was really just a, a meeting of the popularity of Reformed Theology with the popularity of craft beer, yeah, and we were we were just kind of uh, playing to both of those things because it just because we were into those things, just like everyone else was. So I think yeah. it just just struck a nerve, and um, and I'd, I'd like to think we did it we did it fairly well, you know, quality wise. So yeah, um, so that helped too. But yes, thank you so much. I appreciate the the uh, the appreciation. Well, Liz, you should know that. We basically do zero like production, pre-production yeah. meeting on this podcast. It basically consists of Tony and I making sure we know what episode <laughs> count we're on. That's all it is. That's our only planning is let's just get that right. And for some reason, I, I would say once we got into the 130s, for some reason, I set my eyes on the target <laughs> of 178, so much so that basically it became this running joke that... Tony would be like, what episode is this? And we'd be on like, I don't know, like 125. And I would be like, 179. So like every week it was like, what episode is this? 179. To the point where we would just acknowledge that that was not what we're on. And I think Tony would trust in the Lord that I was going to say the right episode number yeah. when it came time to do the intro. Because I would always and only say 179. So it is a big deal. I think that you guys did a lot of fantastic work and God used you mightily to bring together a lot of people that felt like reformed theology or theology in general was too far out of arm's reach. 
So there was something about like just people who love God and are serious about theology coming together over a drink to say, let's talk about how great God is and what the scriptures tell us and how we can systematize our understanding of that. So it is a big deal. Yeah, the the pub sort of growing up alongside what we were doing was super helpful too because we would say dumb, stupid stuff sometimes and people would call us out and we'd have to readdress it. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was just very, just, I don't know, humbling. And, um, yeah. So did you guys do more planning when you first started the show and then you stopped doing all planning as the time went on or you just always came into the show with nothing? <laughs> yeah, we pretty much have never come into the show with anything, really. I mean, okay. the one time that I put together a, like a really thorough outline of the show, uh, it, it ended up being like two hours long. And yeah. but. By God's providence, like Jesse's microphone crapped out in the middle of it, so we had to do something else, and that like ridiculous two-hour show never saw the light of day. But yeah, I mean, we have a we we recently did uh, this Micah cast preaching where we worked through the Book of Micah, so we did a little more planning and reading and studying ahead of that, and we're doing this series uh, with Joel Beakey's Reform preaching, so there's a little bit of footwork with that. But even that, it's still like. You know, before we were doing those series, we didn't even have a topic sometimes when we come into the show and just be like, let's yeah. let's just figure out what happens as we go. We did a whole episode about the name Nate and how that's like a special code word in our family for like someone who's kind of a, sort of like a jerk or a tool. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's been a ride. Yo, actually, we should we should talk about that real quick, Les. Do you have an equivalent name that you guys use in your family to describe somebody who says like kind of like a jerk or just, just out there? Like, if somebody were to cut you off in traffic, is there a name that you guys use that like encapsulates that type of person? Um, I, there's probably been times when we would use names like that, but uh, there's there's a possibility some of those people might hear this. So no, I'm I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a couple people since we talked about that have have called in and told us their family has something similar. Like, yeah, somebody might say, like, oh, man, that guy's such a chuck, which is funny because <laughs> no matter what name it is, you can think of people that d are described by that name, that it's accurate. And then like yeah. our, our friend Chuck Murphy, who is the least chuckish person in that <laughs> on that vector, as you can think right. of, like, I know people named Nate that are perfectly nice people. So, yeah. Cool. Well, we do a little segment called Affirmations and Denials. You got more prep on this than usually Jesse and I give ourselves. So Jesse and I will start. But basically, uh, if there's someone who's listening to the show who isn't aware, because maybe they're listening to this because someone forwarded it because Les is on it, um, an affirmation is basically like a recommendation or something that we want to say is positive, you should check out. And the denial is basically something that we think is like bad or not worth looking at or that you should avoid. So Jesse, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, let me start. So here's what I'm referring with this week. I'm going old school. I'm kicking it back to the Puritans and I'm going back to the Puritan paperbacks, which are published by the Banner of Truth Trust. Man, my experience is you just can't pick a bad yeah. Puritan paperback. Uh, they just absolutely crush those reprintings. And I'm specifically affirming with the bruised read by Richard Sibbs, who basically just is rocking my world right now. It's like a slender volume. You could probably read it almost in one sitting, but it is absolutely crazy. So it's one of those books that just drives you into absolute doxology. So it's kind of like a, I'm, I'm starting to off with like a serious. Usually I'm the one that's like at the lighthearted. I'm affirming ridiculous things that basically don't matter in life, but this one is actually on point 
it's worth reading. Jesse, just to throw a little wrench in our our uh, our rhythm here, why don't you do your denial too? How dare I? So. With uh, with the denial, I'm going with something I've uh, thought about a lot recently. I'm denying against performance benchmarking when it comes to persons. So, like, a lot of time, if you're like me, we kind of compare ourselves to people and say, oh, that dude is, like, so productive. Look at all the things he can accomplish. Without really understanding, like, the costs and the situation that person finds themselves in. So the comparison is just unhelpful. This happens, like, all the time on social media. So I'm just basically denying against that kind of attitude. We need to, like, give ourselves and each other a lot more grace. And I think what God propels us towards is pursuing our calling and not our potential. So having realistic kind of conversations with those you love and delving into the scriptures and really understanding what it means to pursue what God has called you uniquely to, rather than just pursuing all the possible things you might be good at. I think that's a, that's a hard thing. And that's why I'm glad Les is actually part of this conversation, because I, f- I feel like a lot of people look at you, Les. You've accomplished a lot, especially with respect to the documentaries you put together. And clearly, you're going after something that God has laid on your heart that's very specific, as opposed to like all the many things that you could mm. do. Yeah. So how about you, Tony? <laughs> so I'm affirming uh, this new software that I found. It's kind of hard to explain. You should go check it out. It's called Descript. Yeah, it's called Descript. Um, and it's it's a podcast editing software, so it's kind of a niche market. But you can use it for other stuff. You can actually like edit video. But what it does is it you import your audio files and it generates a transcript, which is already pretty cool. I previously recommended uh, an app called otter.ai, which does the same thing. But this takes it a step further. And what it does is then you can actually highlight words in uh, the transcript and delete them and it'll delete that section of the audio out for you automatically. So, you know, if you're giving a lecture or a speech or you uh, you have an opportunity to share the message at your church and you record it and you want to take out all of those filler words, you can just right click on the thing and say delete all filler words. It'll delete every uh, every um. um it's really kind of amazing. Um, you could use it for like uh, if you were transcribing um, a set of lecture notes, you could use it for that. Or if you were recording a meeting, it has the ability to identify multiple speakers. So if I were to cough during the episode today and I wanted to highlight just my track and delete out that cough, it makes it easy to do it. So check it out. It's called Descript. Here's the craziest thing I think it does. And this is like a beta feature that I'll have. It actually has something that allows you to change a word and it'll analyze the rest of your transcript and automatically generate a word that you type in and insert it in a way that sounds supernatural. Not like supernatural, but like super natural. Very natural. Although it feels a little supernatural. So you can just <laughs> you can just add sentences Ooh. you didn't say or words you didn't say right into your audio without having to re-record it. It's it's kind of hard to really understand how cool it is until you've experienced it so check it out descript they do have a free trial available if you're a podcaster and you want to check it out i think you get three hours of transcription which is usually enough for like a two-track uh two-track show if you have a one-track show it's super uh extensive check it out descript man it's changed the way that i do podcast editing it's really sweet and do you have a denial to accompany that i do this takes a little bit of footwork uh so we are recording this on March 14th, but it will not be released for another roughly two weeks. 
So yesterday, from our perspective, President Trump declared a national state of emergency and kind of the whole country went a little crazy, right? Two weeks from now, either we're going to be looking back and be like, that wasn't a big deal, or we're going to, it's going to be like Lord of the Flies. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I'm denying toilet bowl cleaner because I went to the store today to buy some canned foods, you know, normal readiness kinds of things. And this poor little old lady, I was walking down the cleanser aisle and she asked me to grab a bowl of toilet bowl cleaner or a thing of toilet bowl cleaner from the top shelf from her. So I look and her entire cart was full of toilet bowl cleaner. And so I was concerned. I said, I'm happy to help you, but why are you buying so much toilet bowl cleaner? And she looked at me and I almost cried and she said, well, there's nothing else with bleach left on the shelves and I don't know how, I don't know how I'm gonna clean my hands. Uh. And so like I work in the medical field, so I kind of felt it was my responsibility to try to help explain that that's not necessary. So I said to her, you know, that will burn your hands if you use that to, to clean your hands. There's lots of dish soap right in the next aisle and that will work just fine. Oh, well, I'm not sure. So. If if the world has not plunged into chaos and there still is a need for us to stock up on supplies, please check in on your elderly family members and neighbors and make sure that they're not making sort of crazy decisions like washing their hands with toilet bowl cleaner or putting bleach in their water or something like that, because that's going to be really dangerous. So it's kind of a heavy denial, but and it's probably past the point of being useful advice, but check in on your friends and family. If we go into this state of emergency and things get weird, it's probably going to be a little bit of a long haul. So check in on your friends and family, especially the elderly, especially people who might be at increased risk. We all have to help each other out to make it through this thing. I don't know what it's like for you guys, but um, one thing I realized is that my wife and I run like a just-in-time inventory on toilet paper. Like we keep it tight. (laughs) For no good reason, I guess we just keep it tight. And so, man, have you guys tried to buy toilet paper or seen what is like a crazy obsession right now with toilet paper? I saw that the aisle's completely uh, empty, but no, we we, we have a, we go to BJ's, so we get, we get bulk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it is pretty insane out there. Uh, I, I, I saw, I saw this helpful GIF that, uh, I don't know if it's actually accurate, but it was just showing like the membrane of a virus, and it was, you know, specifically the coronavirus, but, uh, and it was just like a a little doodle, sketchy kind of gif, Uh, and it basically explained that the membrane that holds those proteins in place that protects the RNA in the middle of the virus is basically just grease. Uh, It's like a a fatty sort of, and so the best way to tear apart this virus, you could actually like basically rip it apart by applying degreasing soap so washing your hands yep. literally is is the best uh way to prevent it not bleach but just that, like a, a normal soap yeah i mean bleach would do it but that's overkill yeah. and it's gonna wreck your hands so don't do yeah. it i thought you were gonna say that it's actually connected by bleach and so therein lies the <laughs> you're strengthening it you're just making it you're actually making it better making it <laughs> making the virus stronger pour bleach on it it just comes back stronger yeah. than ever This little old lady is actually responsible for a respiratory disease becoming a (laughs) zombie outbreak. So good. That's scary stuff. So, Les, now that you've seen how it's done and how we do this, what are you affirming? Can I make two affirmations just because one of them is something I've been holding on to for a long time? And and it's not all that important. 
Um, when my daughter and I, we went on the road for one of the trips to, uh, to film Spirit and Truth. And I didn't have a podcast at the time, so I, I haven't been able to get this information out. But my daughter and I went to a store, getting some snacks so we could hang out in the hotel room and watch TV that night. And we saw, for the, it was a brand new product on the shelf, and it was Fiery Hot Funyuns. I'm sure everybody's seen them now. Uh, <laughs> but they're pretty incredible. Uh, but Respect. We, so my, my daughter pointed those out, and then, I was, then we were walking through another aisle, and I was like, we should get some French onion dip. So we did. So that night, my, my daughter and I ate uh, fiery hot Funyuns dipped in French onion dip. And this is the greatest snack combination possibly that's ever, that's ever come together. Um, so try that. Fiery hot Funyuns, any, any French onion dip, it's, it's amazing. So that's the, the, first, the first reco that's not that big a deal. Second one, uh, there's a book by J.I. Packer called Concise Theology. Uh, you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. I have, yeah. I haven't read it, but I've yeah. So it's and you know if you've if you've read, read any systematic theology, you probably don't even need to read it because it's it really it's just that concise. It's like two to three pages devoted to whatever doctrine he's talking about that specific, and it's kind of like a daily devotion sort of thing. But it's really easy to understand, and uh, but they're pretty deep subjects at the same time. So uh, that's something. So my son and I. We'll just sit down for five minutes before he goes to bed or whatever, and he'll read through these two to three pages on a given a given subject. And it's just a great conversation starter. And some of the words are too big for him, so he'll have to ask me to you know help him help him understand what what exactly is being said. Um, so it's something that I think it's just a great way to bond with your with your child. He's twelve. That's a really good age, I think, to to be going through something like this. Um, so that's my that's my record. That's a good recommendation. Right I haven't read that book, but I've heard super good things about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then my denial is don't skip family worship. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Every time I get on a, a – anytime my family's just falling apart, I can almost always uh, narrow it down to the fact that we haven't done family worship in a couple of days and uh, we're getting off track. So that, that simple. Yeah. Yeah, that you know, it, I, it's probably an apocryphal quote, but Martin Luther is attributed as saying uh, something along the lines of like somebody said, "How do you find time to pray uh, on these days that are so busy during you know the heart of the Reformation?" And he basically said like, "The busier I get, the more vital it is for me to pray." And so mm-hmm. on the days that it's really busy, I have to actually increase the amount of time praying versus decreasing. And I, you know, I found that to be true in my life too. Amen. For the record, anytime anybody starts with a, a sentence with, this is probably an apocryphal quote from Martin Luther, I think it's going to go in the direction of poop. It's probably true. <laughs> Although those are the ones that are probably genuine. Yeah, yeah. That's all <laughs> That's all that dude talked about. Yeah. So Justification and poop. Les, you know, we, we wanted to bring you on. It's been a little while. It's been about three or four months since Spirit and Truth came out. And, you know, I watched this movie when it came out. Jesse just recently watched it. And, you know, I think it was a phenomenal movie. I think, you know, maybe this isn't intentional, but it seems like Calvinist sort of sets up the um, your first film. Calvinist sets up the stage of kind of like, here's what happened that sort of drove all these people of our age, you know, like late 20s, early mid 30s, early 40s, like that generation of people. Here's what happened that drove us to 
kind of Calvinist theology. And then Spirit and Truth kind of sets up this idea of like, now that all of us are in this sort of Calvinist phase, now this is the next step and this is what we need to work on. So I think it's been a really impactful film, but I thought it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit today, now that it's been out for about four months, like what are your perspectives on the film now? Maybe we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, what you have in mind for future projects. But I think it was a phenomenal movie. Jesse, what did, what did you think uh, seeing it recently? Yeah, this is such a useful resource. I think you did a really fantastic job, Les. At, I think a lot of times, like when we're, get, we're in the reform stream, there's this idea that we need to, of course, like believe certain things and behave certain ways. And what I appreciate about the film is it starts with asking the question, which I think is central to all of our relationship with God, which is how does God desire to be worshipped? Like that, that question by itself is something that I think rarely Christians actually ask. And we say, I think normally like most Christians would say like, of course, like I subscribe to this idea of some kind of regulative worship in the sense that, yeah, God should dictate. We want to do things that comport with the scriptures, but I don't think we ask the question rarely in practice, how does God want to be worshiped? So I'm, I'm curious with like what Tony asked, since like the film has come out and you've been able to process people's reaction to that, what's it been like for you as the maker of that going through that whole journey and then kind of receiving people's feedback on how they have been seeing this concept that you presented for them? Uh, I, it's been mostly very positive with uh, responses. I think, there's a f there's some people who maybe just completely misunderstood the the point of the movie uh, when they watched the trailers and stuff. I don't know. I'm not sure how that happened. It seemed seemed like I was going to be pretty clear about uh, the kinds of things I wanted to communicate. But um, you know, people are like, "Oh, I watched your movie to find out how people worship, and uh, it just just so happens that it's Presbyterian worship," you know, <laughs> which which I don't really think is. <laughs> That, that's certainly not what I was trying to communicate. Obviously, I am a Presbyterian. I go to a Presbyterian church, and the person that was um, that was sort of used as a story device in the movie is my pastor, and he's a Presbyterian. Um, and I mean, it, it's certainly Reformed worship that I'm trying to to promote. Um, but uh, you know, Re Reformed Baptist churches, and uh, there's there's a lot of people who do practice the regulative principle roughly the way that I presented it in the film. And I made a point not to draw any hard lines in the sand. You know, I'm not trying to tell people exactly how you, you have to carry this thing out. It's really just pushing people in a direction um, of asking certain questions. And the, like that's the main question that I wanted people to ask uh, that you mentioned, Jesse, is uh, how does God want to be worshipped as opposed to how do I want to worship? What's my preference or what's God's preference? And I think the more we start asking that question of what's God's preference, uh, the more biblical we're going to be. But as far as people and the reception of the movie, I'm very, very pleased with it. Uh, kind of like with Calvinist, it's like all the people that I expected to love it, loved it. And uh, all the people that I expected to hate it, hated it. And that makes sense. And, uh, but, you know, I, I want it to be, uh, light enough that people who are actually willing to listen, you know, give, give the arguments a chance, um, could be persuaded. Um, so that's, right. it, it's, it, it's a hard thing because I, I, both, both movies are picking subjects that are saying that large groups of people are wrong. 
And right. if those people come across it and they watch it, they're going to be offended. Um, but but it's so it, it's it's more for the people who maybe haven't thought these things through too much or are willing to to think it through. And uh, so far, I mean, yeah, lots of people have said they've been convicted by it, and that's super, super encouraging. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been very pleased. You know, funny story. I actually shared this with you when, around when it happened. But so our listeners, uh, regular listeners to the show won't be surprised by what I'm about to say. People who only know me from the pub or from other interactions on might might be a little bit surprised. But I, I go to a church where, and this is actually the church Jesse grew up in, where the sanctuary of the church and what would normally be called like the narthex of the church or the foyer, the entryway, it's actually all one big open concept room. And so one of my responsibilities around Christmas time, which we uh, jokingly call no reason midwinter, is to set up the <laughs> Christmas tree in the portion of that room that would be the narthex, right? The the gathering area where people walk in. And I think your uh, your point in the movie or in the film was extremely clear. And here was my measure is my wife, who is Jesse's uh, younger sister, and I watched the movie together. And it was funny because one of my tasks for that evening after the film was to set up the Christmas tree. And about halfway through the movie, she leaned over to me and she's seminary educated. It's not like this was surprising to me, but she leaned over and she said, it's pretty ironic that we're watching this movie and then you're going to go set up the Christmas tree downstairs in the church right after. So your point about the regulative principle and, you know, kind of unadorned worship, which I think is is a hallmark of reformed worship, was received loud and clear by someone who I think probably if she had seen the trailer might have thought like this is about worship music. But as far as people who've actually watched the film, I don't know how you could miss the point of the movie. Yeah, Um and just to clarify, the movie doesn't attack holidays right. in, in the least. I don't even bring up Christmas. I don't bring up any any holidays at all. Uh, but the, the question is just, you know, how, do shouldn't we be approaching God based on the things that he's told us yeah. to do in Scripture, which if you right. follow the regulative principle, the, the negative of that is if God has not specifically told us to do something, then then we don't do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I always had the joke that, the movie was going to come out around Christmas time and people were going to receive it under the Christmas tree. Then the movie <laughs> would tell them that Christmas was a sin and they should repent on Christmas morning. That's funny. That but there's something great about that because they're in a sense, like what I find that's impounded in the movie right from the beginning. And I think this is altogether appropriate and wonderful is as you already stated, Les, like there is a sense where it causes you to come to terms with the fact that you're saying right from the beginning, by way of example of Cain and Abel, and Nadab and Abihu, that there is a right and a wrong way to worship. And so I think, I hope it gets wide play. And I've been actually recommending it, sharing it with others who are not from my own kind of theological stream, because either way, no matter where we land, we should be forced to reconcile with the fact that there isn't a right, a right and a wrong way. And I think that most people have a sense, evangelical Christians, that basically any way you worship God is good enough. Like, isn't it just good enough to show him a little of attention, however you manifest that worship? God's, so luck, God's really lucky to have anything from us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate that you, you go after that in a way that's subtle because you're not saying like you must choose, but like there's going to be a test at the end. 
and you got to choose like whether you want to be condemned or not in the way that you worship. But the implication is that worship is so serious, it's not to be trivialized. And I think actually do a really good job with the example of Nadab and Abihu. So I'm curious, like at the outset, when you were crafting how you wanted to put this together, how important was it to you that people wrestle with that? Yeah, so I, everyone that I interviewed, I had them say that, that quote that I have um, Kevin DeYoung saying at the beginning of the movie, which is, you know, we ask, all the, well, he, he put it in his own words, but we ask all these questions about preferences, and the big question is, how does God want to be worshipped? And uh, Kevin DeYoung said it best. So that, that's like, if there's anything in the movie that I actually wrote, and like I wanted to be it's definitely in it. I don't narrate this film. I did Calvinist. Um, but that that line, how does God want to be worshipped, was that was sort of the synopsis of the whole uh, project in, in my mind. So, so yeah, that's the, the question I wanted to, to ask. So one of the strongest, you know, most powerful ways to, to visualize or, you know, even just mentally comprehend what that means is to look at the, all these situations in Scripture where um, God actually re- reacts to the way people worship when they choose to worship in ways he hasn't, he hasn't told them to. So, um, yeah, so in my mind, the whole thing was about preference. God's preference versus our preference, and you really have to wrestle with the fact that no matter, you know, if, if it might be smoke machines and fog machines, and there's people that look at that and they scoff at it and they think it's ridiculous, and there's other people that, that you know, so, so their reaction, this is kind of laid out in the movie, is they go and they, you know, they go to the, the high church. They have, you know, basically priests up there, but they're not in, they're not Roman Catholics. And they have all this, you know, they have incense and they have the whole, the whole deal. So it's all about like, it's, it's not trendy. It's like religious show. Right. It's traditionally become mm-hmm. what's known as, as religious. But, but the question is still did God ask for that? And is this really just another preference? Are you just doing what right. what makes you feel religious and reverent? Um, so yeah, that's 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 the whole thing. And if you really do just strip it down and say, I don't want to introduce it, you know, it's as much as possible. I'm not saying, I, I think at the end of the day, if we're honest with ourselves, there's no way to escape preference to some degree. We're sinful creatures. But as much as possible... Um, and, and even like decisions have to be made with tunes and you know things like that. So somebody's making there's somebody's preference is being upheld somewhere, but as much as possible, strip all of that away. And if we do that, what we end up with is very simple worship because we're not trying to introduce our preferences, the things we like. So, um, but yeah, that was paramount to the whole thing was was um, investigating how much of the things that I do in my worship our preference and preference is good as long as it's God's preference. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's an important theological point that you, you made in that little statement there is that even when we are, uh, doing our best to obey the regulative principle, I mean, you take the most stripped down, unadorned Psalm only no instrument church that there is, even that worship is still, offered imperfectly. And I think what, right. you know, in, in conversations right. about the regulative principle, 
and I don't want to pigeonhole one perspective, but speaking from my time as an administrator in the in the pub and just my interactions in the pub, one of the most difficult conversations that have happened in the pub, and we you know there's there's like these cycles of controversies that have happened throughout the history of the pub, and sure. the, the sort of regulative principle wars has been a really difficult topic. And one of the things I think people miss is that God, nobody's worship is acceptable to God. Nobody worships in a way that's perfect except Jesus. And the only way that right. any of our worship is acceptable is because of what Christ has done for us. And so I always go back to uh, Hebrews eleven four, which is, is the author of Hebrews reflection on the Cain and Abel account. And what he says, this is the only place in scripture where it really comments on what the difference was between Abel's sacrifice in Cain's. And he says, by faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And what I think people miss is that it's not as though Abel somehow got the worship right. It wasn't like there was some formula that God had given him. Presumably, God had explained either to Adam and Eve what acceptable worship was or to Cain and Abel what acceptable worship was. There, there was an expectation that they were expected to uphold. But what the difference was wasn't that Cain got the, the formula wrong and Abel got it right. The difference was that Abel brought his sacrifice in faith, whereas presumably Cain did not. And so I think, you know, when we're thinking about worship, we're thinking about the regulative principle. It's not as though the psalm singing churches are bringing perfect worship. But what it is, is that even our corrupt worship brought to God in faith because of what Christ has done, God accepts some of that stuff, which is imperfect because all of it's imperfect to greater or lesser degrees. He accepts that the same way he accepts us because of Christ's righteousness. So I think that's an important theological point. And you made that in there. It's like somewhere along the line, somebody's preference is being upheld. You know, even if, if the three of us all decide we're only going to sing psalms. Somebody decides what the tune is. Somebody decides which translation we use. Somebody decides where the emphasis is. And I think that's that's a key point in the regular principle that I think is really missing from a lot of conversations. Yeah, and we, we make the distinction between elements and circumstances. Right. And, you know, to, you have to figure out where to, where to put... Sometimes you have to figure out which category certain things right. fit into. Um, but... But yeah, it's yeah, there's always a preference being being upheld. And I appreciate how the documentary really focuses on the difference between elements and circumstances. I think again for that average Christian, that's really helpful categorization of the different parts of worship. And so I I have to put you on the spot less just because I would think this would be great because you spent so much time thinking about this. I'm really curious, and you can just you can use this as an opportunity to air all your dirty laundry. If you so choose. <laughs> Probably I'm not going to do that. What what I'm, is what is like your worship? Like let's say worship on the Lord's Day. What is like one of your pet peeves? If you're like, oh man, this is the thing that just drives me insane uh, when people do this. When people do what, it, what would it be? You're not saying my own church. <laughs> no, I mean you yeah. can use them if you yeah. want to. <laughs> you can put anybody on blast. We're equal opportunity. <laughs> Um, I think, I think it's just really a mentality of, of, um, you know, serving, serving the preferences of the masses. Um, you know, we'd like people make, when people are making decisions based on what 
especially especially what unbelievers are gonna like yeah um what that's gonna pull in you know like i used to <clears throat> if an unbeliever comes into your church service and they sit through the entire thing and they walk out of the service an unbeliever and they say that was great you have failed yeah like you have you 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 did everything wrong then <laughs> like they weren't right. they weren't convicted they weren't <laughs> offended and they they actually enjoyed this whatever just happened in there um i had a it wasn't awkward yeah it wasn't yeah exactly and awkward is a good word for it i have this uh friend that i he, he moved away now but um he was a pastor in my area and he used to talk about how worship is the most intimate moment in the Christian's life. Um, and when we think about, and you know, it's the, it's the bride worshiping the groom and there's this, this intimate uh, interaction between them. And if we think about that with, uh, you know, a husband and a wife, the most intimate moment, um, it, it's, it's awkward to witness that if it's not, if you're not a part of that uh, interaction. And I know that's, you know, obviously uh, that's a hard thing to, to talk about, like the correlating human intimacy with the intimacy between, but the analogies there in scripture between husband and wife right. or uh, bride and groom. Uh, but with all that to say, when an unbeliever comes into a worship service, it should be really awkward. Like these, mm-hmm. if, you know, driving them to the gospel should be, should be the point uh, through it. We're not, not saying it should be so awkward that they, that they want to leave or something, but you're watching these weirdos worship a god that you don't believe in. Yeah. Um, that should be really, really weird. And if you're just making it acceptable and cool and feel like, you know, it's, it's not weird at all for an unbeliever to be there, then you're, you're just completely missing the point. Yeah, ju- just a side note. Um, you know what you said there about particularly what's called seeker-sensitive churches, of churches that cater their their whole service and their whole decoration to so-called seekers, uh, you're absolutely right that that's just a ridiculous, dumb way to, like, set up your church. We actually did an episode, for anybody who's interested, episode 70, we did kind of a deep dive on the seeker-sensitive movement, and that was the same point we made, is, like, you're, you're structuring your worship to cater to people basically to unregenerate carnal desires is what secret sensitive churches are oriented towards. And that's precisely the opposite of what we should be doing. So I, I think you're spot on there. Yeah. So who, whose preference now is being served? The unbeliever? Yeah. That's who, right. that's who gets to decide what happens in your worship service. That's, that's not even Christian anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the big problem. And that's the whole like point of the old Testament ceremonial law or one of the points of the old Testament ceremonial law is this is one of the things I love Meredith Klein. I, I think he's done so much for the reformed understanding covenant theology. But one of the things that I think he goes a little awry on is how much he wants to say like, well, you know, like the Bible's understanding of covenant theology is really similar to like Akkadian or, or Ugaritic covenant theology. But the part of the point is like a, a random Ugaritic person from Northern Israel or, or North of Israel who wandered into the temple somehow and observed what was going on there would look at this and be like, wait a second, why isn't, why isn't the God eating the food? Isn't that the point? 
Where in Israel, they're like, well, our God doesn't need food. That's ridiculous. We we offer this to him, but then we get to enjoy it because that's how he's done this is he, he gives us out of his own abundance. Then we all of a sudden we think it's flipped in the new covenant. We're like, oh, yeah. well, you know, we should definitely accommodate the unbeliever. It just doesn't make any sense. I love that you just dropped that cultural context. Like everybody understood what the <laughs> heck you were talking about just there. <laughs> Yeah. This is the only podcast where you'll find that presumed. True story. But I, I do think it is, I like this idea of distinguishing between like the offense of the gospel and the awkwardness of worship. I think that's a healthy and helpful distinction because if we're coming into the Lord's day with this sense that we have an intimacy with God that is supernatural in its essence, then the, there's going to be like a magnitude of expression that should be just kind of wig people out who are not used to that kind of expression. And yeah. the question is whether or not that, that hallmarks our, our worships together or whether it is watered down to such a degree where most people just feel comfortable. There's not anything strange about it. They're not seeing people where they have a mind that's focused on God and a heart that is enraptured with him because their mind has been transformed. Mm. And I think you cover that well, actually, in the documentary. Like That was one of the things that I think made me want to evaluate how my own church handles that responsibility. And I think you do a good job of emphasizing that it's a responsibility that everybody not only should wrestle with, but really should determine how they come to grips with whether or not it's being done efficaciously according to the scriptures. And that's, that's a really challenging thing. I mean, I think this idea of worship is so central to who maybe it is the central thing of being a Christian. Yeah. Again, like Christian, Christianity isn't about like, let's do certain things. Let's even know certain things. Yeah. It's really about how do we worship God? Yeah. yeah. And most, most Christians think that evangelism is the most important thing a Christian ever does. Yeah. And evangelism is extremely important, but like John Piper has this amazing quote that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And so worship is being served by evangelism. We want to bring in worshipers. So the ultimate goal of all of uh, Christian life on this side of eternity is worship, and on the other side of eternity, evangelism is not even there anymore. Yeah, um, it's just it's just worship. But I'm always struck by like people people will tell me that that first line in in the movie, "How does God want to be worshipped?" is like that that um, impacted them the most, and it's. Every once in a while, I'll even find myself, you know, thinking about the impact of that question, because it's it's kind of crazy that what, the reason that impacts people, it just it just kind of reminds you that God is actually alive, and He's real, which is I mean, right how basic is that? But we get in these these sort of um, habits in our lives, and you know, worship the way we think worship should be done, and all this stuff. And we forget that we're worshiping a living God who is actually telling us what he wants yeah. and what he, you know, what we should actually do. And he expects things from us and he sees what we're doing and he's judging us like he's he's actually real and he's alive. And it right. sucks. It's It sucks that we, and it, it, you know, I'm not excusing myself from this. We all sort of almost fall into a religion sometimes that that forgets that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so here's like Tony and I are involved in our churches in various capacities with like, I would say like Tony, like bringing together some order of worship. We play a part in that to various degrees. And one of the things I think that is good about what you're challenging is it pushes it all the way down to like the lowest, most practical level. Because what you just said about 
asking, is this the way God wants to be worshiped? We should be asking that like all the time. Yeah. So like when we get to a point in the service and we're like, cause sometimes there's a tendency, like let's mix things up a bit to like make people so they're not like bored with the order of the service or let's insert music here or a prayer there. We ought to be asking, is that the way God wants to be worshiped in that moment? Like, yeah. is it appropriate? Because so much of the time it is basically shaped by like, let's pe- get people involved. Let's keep people's attention. Let's make sure that they leave with some kind of mental hook about what's just happened. And there's this amazing irony in what you present, which basically says, no, the worship that God requires is simple. Like it almost doesn't matter if you're bored, who cares? Cause God is not yeah. like, here's what he's prescribed yeah. and here's the path forward. And it's almost like free yourself from this responsibility of trying to manufacture something that week after week ups the week before or is more impressive or more entertaining. I actually think that's that's liberating and and you emphasize that particularly well. How has that like transformed how you understand worship? I mean, has has your understanding certainly had a body of knowledge before you undertook the project? But I'm curious, what has been the thing maybe that surprised you coming through the course of making the film and speaking with all these amazing people about worship? Well, I think um it just it sort of sort of challenges me to. It's kind of hard to describe because I I, I I I kind of I view the regulative principle basically the way that the movie presents it, and I I don't want it. I might take some harder and faster stances on a, on a few issues, but I think one of the, one of the most interesting things for me was I was talking to. You know, the spectrum was conservative PCA guys, really conservative Baptist guys, uh, all the way into like the Church of Scotland continuing guys, like um, <laughs> RPC, RPCNA guys who, who are a cappella, exclusive psalmody. Um, right. So, and I mean, one of the coolest things for me to discover was, and I, I don't know why, I just really appreciated it. Um, but talking to those, maybe what a lot of people would say are extreme versions, the RPCNA, the uh, Church of Scotland continuing. Robert McCurley, he's the guy uh, with the pulpit in the background with the really long beard. I, I, I used him a lot in the movie, um, and he's Church of Scotland continuing. And those guys, whether you agree with their convictions or not, head coverings, like the, the whole deal, um, they there's much less wiggle room with them when you're asking these questions. They actually have a hard and fast answer to every question I had about the regulative principle. They know exactly what they believe uh, should be done in any given circumstance. You know, that's maybe an overstatement, but but there's no like, like you know, what does it mean? To, how Why should we sing to God? And then we're immediately into Psalms and they can tell me everything about singing Psalms. Um, so that, that, was, that was really cool for me just to appreciate... Uh, whether or not I agree with them, um, I always like to understand those those perspectives of people who are super serious about what they're doing, um, and it's all. I mean, they're they're just trying to uphold God's word, and they 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 really want to honor the Lord in a way that I mean, how am I going to criticize that? How do you like poo poo on people right. that are like? No, God is actually worthy of us just singing his word to him, and this honors him the most. Um, so it's like, 
Um, I, I don't know. That was that was pretty interesting for me throughout the experience of the movie was talking to people that I'm not quite on board with, but I just appreciated what they did the most. And those are the guys that made the telling of the story of the movie so much easier because it was just like rock solid answers where other people, and it's probably my actual perspective, um, give a, a lot more wiggle room on some of those issues on, on where they actually land. Um, uh, it's a little more subjective. Some of these, some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? My experience, um, has been, there's a certain breed and I don't want to call any particular person or perspective out, but there's a certain breed of people that you run into on the internet who are real hard line, uh, folks on the regulative principle. And they, they give you this impression if you listen to them and if you interact with them that like if you're not doing exactly what God does or what God what God says, if you're if you think there's any room for uh, interpretation that like God doesn't even accept your worship, like you're barely a Christian. And what my experience has been in the real world interacting with people is that even the people like Dr. McCurley or Dr. Piper who who take a much harder uh, harder line stance, they don't look at you the way that sort of the internet uh, covenanters do. They, they, they look at you and they, they probably think like, man, it'd be better if they were on board and they understood. But they look at you and say like, but this person's trying to honor Jesus. And even though they don't yeah. do it quite right, like they're still a brother in Christ. And yeah. where this really came to fruition for me is I went to the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology last year and there were people that I know there who are exclusive psalmody people and you know they stood there quietly and respectfully while the rest of us sang hymns but they didn't like make a big deal out of it they didn't insist on leaving the room they didn't insist on like sitting there with their hands in their pockets with a scowl on their face they recognized that like the church is broader than just this slice of people and even though somebody's right somebody's wrong like we've talked about this with baptists versus you know paid baptist versus creed baptist if somebody's right and someone's wrong and that means somebody is saying something false about god and somebody's saying something true about god but at the end of the day like we aren't always able to know which person in that situation is reflecting the biblical teaching because both arguments are reasonable arguments from scripture so what I respected and, about your film was how how many different people there were and how many different perspectives there were represented in terms of the spectrum of, you know, super conservative psalm singers to people who sing choruses and like other kinds of like contemporary songs at their church. Even amongst that, there wasn't any sense of controversy or heat or like discord in your film. And I thought that was a really strong point of your movie is that even though this is kind of a, a an element of reform theology that people come into sort of later in the process. It still didn't feel like elitist almost. There wasn't an elite sense to it. It felt very organic and very natural as sort of just the next step of development. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was, I, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Cause that, that's sort of the hardest part about it is taking these people who are, there are, they are saying different things on some of these, some of these issues and my job as the filmmaker that's trying to make a cohesive message is to sort of boil everybody down to the agreed upon like how how far can this this principle be taught in this context without stepping over the line into the part where we're like 
But then there's tons of controversy around this particular right. part. So again, like the my 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 goal was really just to to uh, get people to start asking asking some questions about what what they're doing. Um, and it, what you, what you said about Cain and Abel, I think, or uh, yeah, Cain and Abel in the Book of Hebrews is is really good. Um, what you said earlier, because I, I I feel like there's there's sort of this disconnect sometimes in evangelicalism where we talk about faith versus our practice, and you know, it's like you were saying. Uh, people think that they can worship however they want, and as long as God's being worshipped, then he'll be happy with it. But um, the, at least what's being said in that story of Cain and Abel is that he was presenting the offering in faith. So our practice, if, if we actually believe in God, if we're actually faithfully uh, approaching the Lord, then we still do it obediently. Right. And we still— right. so so. To act in faith isn't opposed to acting in works. It just means that you actually, you know, you you from the heart are doing these things that the Lord has told you to. So you don't you don't you don't act less obediently in faith. Right. You know, some people actually kind of kind of think that's the way it works out. Like I can do whatever I want as long as it's in faith, which is I mean that's just a really bad understanding of of the way this faith works. But acting in faith is to at least be doing what God said. And more than that, to be doing what exactly what God said, as much as you are physically capable of doing what God has said, and doing it in a way where you believe the promises that God has given behind uh, the the call to obedience in that. So I, I think that's a really important important distinction to to be made. Yeah, that's exactly and that's right. That I think we kind of yeah we like we kind of understand that intuitively, right? Like you guys are both married, you have families. And so, like, I often think of this by way of example or extension, like God has been so good, even in the just our human relationships to emphasize that very fact about whose priority it is when it comes to providing honor, who gets the preference. So like when it's my wife's birthday, you know, like I always defer to like, how does she want to be celebrated? Right. Like, what do you want to do? What makes you feel appreciated and loved and cherished? We should be asking those questions all the time, but especially on a day where it's on a particular day when we're trying to celebrate and honor that person. So if she like gives me specific instruction, like written or verbal or otherwise, and then I go against that and expect that she would be like pleased, either I, I miss the mark or I do go in the opposite direction. Like if I prescribe to the normative principle of happy birthday celebrations, you know, like I can't expect that she is going to feel as appreciated or loved or cherished when I desire to go against that. And it's just funny to me that like, we can see that very clearly. We know that the relationship will suffer harmony when we have to do that in our marriages. But when it comes to God, we're kind of, we just, I, I don't know if this is just a, a fact of we grow up in an environment and we're used to thinking about our worship in a sense that again, gives us fulfillment. And so we're just so clouded by that, by our sinful nature and by experience that we can't move or beyond it, but we see it elsewhere. Like we know it to be true. Yeah. It's just so hard sometimes to say like, God, you get the first priority. You get to choose. And it doesn't like to say, it doesn't even matter what I think anymore. I'm just going to follow suit in, w according to the scriptures. It's like a remarkably hard thing to do. And, and I hope that people will take the opportunity to avail themselves of watching spirit in truth because it forces the question. Like I've already passed this along to people, as I mentioned. So I have this grand plan, like twisting mustache style plan to like, <laughs> create lots of, here's what I think everybody should do. You should in your own sphere of influence, like find a way to get people together. Like, I don't know, create a potluck dinner 
uh, you know, have people over and then just drop this, put this on and just leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, let, and let people from the very beginning, like you said, Les, hear the question. Because I think in fairness, some people have never really thought about this. Like they've vouchsafed worship on the Lord's Day to the leadership, rightfully so, without thinking about when I come and sit in the pew, am, am I concerned with the fact that what we're doing together corporately is an expression of worship that is honoring to God in every facet. And so I think we just need to drop this documentary as like a bomb into people's laps and just kind of let the fallout, the deconstruction happen because I think God will do something great through that. Mm. I wanted that to be a question somewhere for you, Les, but somewhere along the way, like as typical in our podcast, it just got too long. <laughs> well, no well we've, going with that. We've, kind of teased some, you, we've kind of teased something quite a few times here um, that should be mentioned. And we're talking about, you know, what do I want versus what did God want? And, you know, the, if, if if people were bored, then that would be that'd be fine. Um, I, I think it's at least worth mentioning, and this is something that there's a whole section of the movie devoted to, that in reality, the way that God has established this, like Tony said, with the temple worship is out of God's abundance, he blesses us. And that wow. that's exactly the same thing that happens in New Testament um, Christian worship is that the way that we grow, we, do, we we have no need to invent all these programs, to invent all these ways that are going to bring about spiritual growth. The way that God has ordained that we would grow as Christians is are the exact same things that he asks for in the worship service. So it's through preaching, through the sacraments, through prayer. This is what God gives us to grow us. So he gets what he wants. He gets his name extolled. He gets uh, honor uh, lifted up to his name. He gets Christ glorified. And all along the way, we are growing as Christians. We're realizing our dependence upon the gospel. We're uh, eating of his body and his blood, this absolute dependence that we have upon the Son. And we are sanctified. So it's not, it's not one or the other. Um, right. it's, it's just falling in line with actually having faith that when God says that he will bless us when we worship him properly, that that'll actually happen. And that those are supernatural things. So now you actually have to have faith in a supernatural God to do supernatural things. And now you're in a religion <laughs> and yeah. people, people are afraid of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is what I, I think you did so well in the film and, and, I am not a filmmaker, so I have no idea what goes on behind the scenes with all this stuff. But the other way you could have started this film and it would have it would have had the same message. And this is why I think it's so strong is you didn't do this, but you could have started this film with the first question to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Right. What is the chief end of man? Yep. It's to glorify God and to enjoy right, yep. him forever. So that that's what I think, you know, people coming into this, uh, this sort of there's Calvinist theology and then there's this more fully orbed confession reform theology. What they miss about this centrality of God's glory in reformed theology that they don't usually get to later is that the centrality of God's glory in reformed worship is for our benefit, right? God has promised us in his word and he's confirmed it to us by his spirit that when, when he, he's promised to meet us and to sanctify us particularly at a certain time and in a certain way, according to certain guidelines. That doesn't mean that he doesn't sanctify us 
and and grow us in other ways at other times. But what he's revealed to us by his word and spirit is that on the Lord's day, when we gather together as a body to glorify him, that he will meet us there and, and he will be pleased by our worship because of what Christ has done. And he'll grow us that way. Like we glorify God and we enjoy him. Like it's, that's the centrality of worship that I think people miss is that it's not just to talk about God's benefit is a little bit weird, but it's not just for God's benefit that we worship in a particular way, but it's also for our benefit. And I think your, you know, your, your film really drove people, I think, or, or if they come into this with an open mind, it drives people to understand exactly what you're saying that this unadorned worship, you know, I, I, um, I sometimes interact with people outside the reformed faith and they, they sort of balk at the regulative principle and they're like, well, but, but people aren't going to be drawn to that. And there's a part of me that just mourns that reality. It's like mm. people are drawn to other things apart from just God. Like the, the, yeah. the, the benefit of reformed worship is that as close as we can, as much as we're able, the central feature of our worship is union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, bringing mm -hmm. us to the Father and nothing else. There's no exactly. other entrapments. There's no other accoutrements. It's just God in our midst is what we're going after. And, you know, you think of like all the smells and bells and all this other stuff that people are attracted to. Or if you want to be more modern, like the smoke machines and the fog and the, the angel feathers from the ceiling, it's all an idol that substitutes for God. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it is. Like that's, that's modern worship. So I think your film really helped me personally to understand that element of it of a lot. I had a, a visual element that I was that I was thinking about doing. It was actually going to be uh, from Doctor Strange, like the the portal that Doctor Strange makes, right? Yeah. And it was it was going to be above the above a simple um, pulpit in a simple church, basically the church that I featured in the movie. Um, just very simple setup. And the, the, this portal is, it represents the word of God. And the word of God is the way that the Lord has decided to speak to us and for us to speak back to him. And so we have this very simple means that the Lord has set up. And this is like spirit and truth worship. It's simple, it's true. And it's not about which mountain you're worshiping on. It's simply about, you know, having faith in the Lord. And so the idea is, Anything you add on that stage next to this portal, you think you're helping. You think you're helping point at this the portal, the way that we actually communicate, the way we actually receive blessing from the Lord and, and worship. But all it can do is distract away. So you put a guy shredding guitar up there. You put the smoke machine. You put the lasers. You think you're helping, but you're actually distracting. And people are going to look right. at that instead. They're actually looking at the other thing. And they're looking for it to it because of the context that it's happening. And they're looking to it for some kind of spiritual um, energizing, some kind of some kind of spiritual help. Um, and then, you know, you could ask the question, well, what about a piano? What about all these things? Um, and I think that's a valid question to be saying, if I'm going to put anything up there that's going to be next to that portal, next to that, the, the faith in God's word for him to talk to me, me to talk back to him, have this dialogue in worship. I need to be very careful about anything I'm putting up there because it very easily can distract. And that's actually the natural tendency of man is is to be distracted away from God's word, mm. away from communion and, and worship with God. 
uh, and to start trusting in anything else because our hearts are idol factories. That's a Doctor Strange reference I actually understood. So <laughs> I, got, I got that reference. Yeah, thank you for making that clear. So one of the things I kind of wanted to ask as we kind of draw to a close and get a sense for like the filmmaking portion of this, here's something I'm always curious about. I'm sure you recorded a massive amount of footage that didn't make it in, and you had, just like you said there, maybe some ideas that didn't make it in. I'm curious, is there like one thing that you were like, man, I really want to include this so bad, but there's some kind of constraints that just prevents me from doing so? Like, what, what's on the, what is on the floor that didn't make it in that you're like, man, this is just killer? Uh, well, I'm not going to spoil that because uh, what I'm working on right now is uh, a project that comes out of Spirit and Truth, and it's It'll probably be called Spirit and Truth, but it's uh, a study series that's going to be like a multi-week, uh, you know, series that you sit down with in a church with maybe like five discs or whatever, and then there'll be a study guide that accompanies it. So it'll be new content. Um, it'll be along the lines of the movie Spirit and Truth, and it'll be like the, you know the Spirit and Truth study series. So I'm not sure when it'll be finished, but that's that's my current project. So all the cutting room floor stuff isn't isn't yet on the cutting room floor. That's it's, awesome. Uh, could potentially still be used. That's great. This is how we know you're an expert podcaster because you just totally turned that question. Like it answered a bunch I of things it. and went into a wonderful segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Les, you know, this has been such a joy. And, you know, I just want to say again, like, thank you so much for being uh, open to and obedient to the things that God has called you to. You know, I... I, we're not like best friends or anything like that, but you and I go back a few years now of interacting in various ways and various capacities through the pubcast and through the reform pub. And, you know, it's been a real, um, it's been sanctifying in my life to watch you and sort of in some ways, like help you talk through some of these decisions you've made. Like, I think, I don't think people realize that you, have left jobs to pursue making some of these films. Like you've, you've walked away from things that were secure to follow what you believe was God's direction or God's plan in making that. in like the weird charismatic way, but like you, you saw an opportunity that your skill sets could meet a need in the church, not, not an ecclesiastical need, but a need that people had. And you walked away from something secure to do something insecure. So that, that's a huge step of faith. Like that's an Abraham style kind of move. And it's been a joy to be part of seeing that and part of helping you wrestle through some of these things. Um, mm. So, so thank you for being faithful. The, the film encouraged me. I know that it encouraged my wife, you know, Jesse's seen it. He's in, he's talking about how it's encouraging him. And, and there are, there are thousands of people that I know who've seen the film that were encouraged by it. So I said this when the film came out individually, but well done, like well done, good and faithful servant is, is a real For statement sure. that you should hear out of this. Oh, thank you so much. I, that actually reminds me, man, I totally forgot about that. Uh, I was working at a job as a video editor after Calvinist because I freaked out when I was releasing Calvinist. <laughs> I, I knew for sure nobody was going to buy this movie. I was going to, I was going to be broken, you know, very short amount of time. So I took a full-time job before I even released it. So I wasn't even really able to promote it the way I wanted it to. Um, but then nine months into that job, I'm like chomping at the bit to make another movie. And I have this job that I'm committed to. And I started asking the pub admins for their, their advice. And there was a funny little exchange that happened between, between me and one of the other ones. 
Uh, his response was not at all helpful or kind. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If, I'm sure you remember what I'm talking about, Tony. I think you do. Yeah, um, I do. But but you guys, the the, the admins were were very helpful in, in thinking that through, and um, yeah, it was great. I, I I walked away from that job because sort of the I mean the the final thought in my mind was if I stay at this job, and it was a Christian Christian company. The guy's not reformed, but you know he he's doing really good stuff. Um, if I stay at this job, the movie that he wants to get made, the product, you know, whatever these videos that he wants to get made, they'll get made. He'll hire another editor and they'll get made. It's it's his baby. It's his thing. He's going to make sure it gets completed. But if I don't make the movies I want to make, nobody's going to make them. So right. that was uh, that was just a huge um, uh, epiphany for me was... Um, you know, that might not be true forever. I'm not telling everyone, just follow your dreams. I think that's a, a dangerous thing to, to think if you're not really praying about it, really being wise about it. You know, people actually do need money to live. So, you know, be be, be cautious there. But um, that, that helped me sort of, quote unquote, follow my dream in this case. And uh, the Lord so far uh, continues to bless so thank you, Tony. I appreciate well, that. Yeah. Well, we're, we're certainly not the only ones, like Tony said, that have been impacted by the Reform Pubcast and all the stuff that you've been a part of. In fact, so Tony, like, because again, there's zero planning that goes in the episodes. Like, we just come up apparently with contests on the fly. And so a couple weeks ago, <laughs> because we've been hyping up episode 179, Tony laid out this challenge to everybody that listens saying, if you can figure out why 179 is significant to us, uh, then the first person to identify that by, via email will win this like epic Reform Brotherhood beer stein because who doesn't want that hanging out in their kitchen or their place of work? It sounds like you left and a clue in the prize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so there was enough like Easter eggs, and I think we mentioned it at some point we because did. again, like going back all the way to like in the one thirties, it was top of mind for me. There definitely was at least one time where I said, welcome to episode one seventy nine when it was you know, like one. <laughs> so it, it definitely happened. So, uh, we, we have a winner and, uh, that winner has what I can ascertain is one of the most, uh, sweet last names, Luke Schmelzer, if that's how you pronounce it, correctly identified that one seventy nine was just one episode more than the reform pub has to put out. So, we're going to be in touch with him and uh, send him uh, a sweet stein. So really, yes. that's uh, honestly, Luke owes a debt of gratitude to you, Les. It's not to us. <laughs> well, let me let me say that we still have not officially said the pubcast is over. That's true. And it, it 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 mulls over in my mind quite often, it's, uh, and I'm sure Tanner would would love to do it. So one of these days, you never know, a new episode might just pop up in your in your feed. Oh. Although everybody will be unsubscribed by then, but, uh, you know, I will say, I will say this is, you know, before we started, you know, we, we, I like played the reform Pubcast intro cause we wanted to make sure we replicated the intro as close as possible. When I went to go like pull that back together, I, I hate to admit this, but I sort of half expected to have to go find it and resubscribe to it. But I'm not unsubscribed to it. And I know that if, hear. if I'm not unsubscribed, it was an intentional decision because I actually review. This is like the nerdiest thing ever. I review my my podcast subscriptions on like a weekly basis to unsubscribe to stuff that I don't want to listen <laughs> to anymore. 
Of course you and, do. And I've yeah. intentionally, for all this time, left the pubcast in there. So I'm feeling like at some point it'll come back. But, you know, the Reform Pubcast has made an impact on so many people's lives. It's spawned this generation of Reformed podcasts. You know, our show is in very, very much indebted to the, the pubcast. You think of like Reform Pilgrims, which is made up of well, two admins and a, a person who formerly was an admin now, but three Reform Pub admins. You know, you've got other shows out there that have basically spawned. Distilling Theology literally positions itself as like what's filling the gap since the Reform Pubcast has gone on hiatus as like this, you know, uh, spirits and uh, podcasting theology thing. So it's been a huge impact, and God has really used you and Tanner. <clears throat> And your own personal growth, I think that was the hallmark of the Reform Pubcast, mm. is watching these two guys who, you know, we, you and I have had this conversation, self-admittedly started off kind of as like these novice Reform people who didn't really know Reform theology grow into these two really fully robustly orbed uh, confessional theological guys who can speak to, I mean, any issue articulately within within Reformed theology and really can can speak to the issues in a good way. So thank you for your obedience. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the, the content you've given us. You know, it's funny. Uh, every once in a while, someone will log into our, our Facebook group and tell us that they've listened to all, like, every episode. And I kind of shudder at, like, thinking about, like, episode one, how, how like, yeah. different it was. But I've listened so to every episode of the Reform Pubcast, and it, it listening to the growth and the, the sort of the story of the Reform Pubcast. That's a that's a documentary movie for you know the next two three whatever uh, is actually like the Reform Pub as a thing is is a pretty interesting story as well. That is a terrifying prospect. <laughs> <laughs> All I got to say is Reformed Forum, we're coming for you yes. guys. Yeah. <laughs> we got they got how many, stop how many episodes do they have? Stuff. Uh, they just passed like, <laughs> like five hundred. They've been going for ten right. years. You got your work cut out for you. Yeah, that's for sure. and I'm sure you get this a lot less. But I, I wanted to say, like in closing, I, you probably get stories of people like what their interaction is, what the entry point is into the reformed uh, podcast. And uh, for some reason, this sticks in my mind. Uh, Tony was the one that, of course, shared it with me first. And I, I don't, I don't know why I remember this, but I was at my parents' house, and uh, Tony lives nearby. He, we were in the kitchen together, and he just says to me, like, as Tony is wont to do, like, he doesn't need a segue, so that's <laughs> fine. And, and he was just like, so it started like this. He was like, yo, so there's this podcast where these two guys drink beer and talk about Reformed theology. And my response was literally like, is that the end of your sentence? I don't know. <laughs> Where, where we, is that all you got? But that's, that is the beauty of it, right? Is it was, and you guys were always open and inclusive with this idea of everybody should start a podcast, yeah. which we are, we are like, you know, the children of that in a sense. But this idea of like, just get together with brothers and sisters and talk about how great God is. And that in itself is an act of worship, which really brings me back, I think, to this, this documentary. It's, you've been really consistent with this idea of living life together, worshiping God wholly and wholeheartedly in everything that you do. So there is a testimony in that. So I, I appreciate it. Where can people go to either get a copy of Spirit and Truth or go to see some of your other work? I want to make sure that people at the end of this are writing down where they can go to go find that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to leslanfear.com, both movies, Calvinist and Spirit and Truth, are available through streaming, 
or you can buy DVDs. Um, or you can just go directly to calvinistmovie.com or spiritandtruthmovie.com. Uh, so that's where the movies are. That's kind of what I'm doing now. And reformpubcast.com is still up, and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast. There's 178 episodes on uh, on <laughs> iTunes waiting for you. I also did another podcast, a, a little uh, fun spinoff. It was called the Reformed Kidcast. We had... Uh, 29 episodes we went through the uh, first catechism which is like the shorter shorter catechism for kids Uh, I went through that with my two my two oldest kids Uh, and that was a lot of fun and now when I go to conferences I have kids come up to me and they're starstruck by my children like (laughs) oh we listened to the reform kid guest which is which is super fun um, but I thought that was a fun, and uh, pe- people still people still say they love it. So yeah. uh, you can that's still up on uh, your favorite streaming podcast catcher. I don't even know what you call them anymore. Yeah, yeah, get it anywhere. Great. Nobody knows. Well, Les, this has been great. So you know, we so appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm I'm personally looking forward to the day that the podcast comes back, even if it's uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. But. <laughs> Until next time, Les and Jesse, honor everyone. Love the Brotherhood. <laughs>